One of the things that I talk a lot about is risk, and nobody likes to talk about risk, but it's one of those things. It is a superpower. It is something in your control. We as leaders, whether you're a C-suite leader running an organization or an aspiring leader, one of the things that you need to have in your toolbox is how can you evaluate risk? Because it's knowledge, it's information for which then you can act on. And the worst thing that leaders can do is, one, they may not be aware of the risks in their business. And two, if they are, they choose not to do anything because they will roll the dice because that will never happen here. There are more pressing priorities. And then, unfortunately or fortunately, that's when the drop-in CEO comes in because we are at a place of crisis for which we need capability and capacity to get us stable again. And then there's my conversation with Daniel Hall. And while we talk about the rich environment for which he as the interim dean of High Point University cultivate the future talent that comes into our organizations, he highlights a risk. The people coming out have big ideas. They are inspired. They are passionate. And then they arrive at our doorsteps, this new talent, and then we don't feed their passion. We don't explain why we do things We treat them as a commodity, heads down, and let's just do the work. And then we like to label them. They just moved on. They weren't interested because they leave our care. But we as leaders need to think about people as a line item on our P&L worthy of looking at them as a risk or opportunity. And what do we need to do to continue what they have enjoyed in the educational system? in the care of leaders and instructors that the world is for them to conquer. What are you going to do now to make sure we preserve this knowledge, the generation and other generations to come? So I can't wait to share this amazing conversation I had with Daniel Hall. Let's listen. The data is still coming in to figure out what it is different about Gen Z versus millennials. I think the biggest difference is the millennials, they definitely want a fast trajectory. And then the Gen Z, they definitely care a lot about their passion. They need a why. And so you really have to spend a lot of time on the what's in it for me, not to say that they're selfish, but just to say like, you have to find their passion, get to know them and use that to kind of drive them. And if you can do that, if you can get their passion behind it, then they just really move forward. At High Point University, every student receives an extraordinary education in an inspiring environment with caring people. So those three things. And that inspiring environment, I think, is very important for the Gen Z right now. And so we want to grow. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of The Drop-In CEO, and I am so excited for this interview today, but first want to say thank you for joining us on another episode of this podcast. Week after week, I get to speak to amazing leaders and bring their insights and inspiration to you. 
And if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, tell others our downloads are forever increasing. And if there's a topic we have not talked about, please reach out to me. We will bring your questions and ideas forward and we will answer them for you. So I am now honored to share the mic with my fantastic guest, Daniel Hall. Dr. Daniel Hall, Associate Professor of Economics, also serves as Dean of the Earl and Phillips School of Business at High Point University. Dr. Hall joined in 2010 and brought with him a tech-savvy skill set that has added innovative techniques and teaching methodologies to the classroom. And he now seeks to develop data and analytic skills in our students at the undergraduate and MBA levels. And he has a really amazing background. But now I would love to welcome you onto the show, Daniel. Thank you, Deb, and thank you for having me. So I am excited. We have the good fortune of connecting with each other with David Horsiger. We found each other on social media. We started supporting each other. But then I was thinking his work in the university system, working with the future managers and leaders, I would just love to understand what are their opportunities? What are their challenges? What do we need to know about that environment of the next generation leaders? And I'm hoping that Daniel will be able to shed light on that. But first, it's all about you, Daniel. Can you just share a little bit about yourself personally and your journey? And then I've got some other questions I want to ask you. So please, thank you. Sure. I'm a Georgia boy, grew up near Stone Mountain, a little town called Snellville, where everybody's somebody. Then I went to college at another bill, Milledgeville, down south, uh, Georgia College and State University. So this is one of the former capitals of Georgia. And then I went to graduate school in Atlanta, the current capital, and became a Panther at Georgia State University, got my master's and my PhD in economics. My fields were experimental economics and environmental economics. And then I hit the job market, the running of the economists, my first interview. And I was the first interviewee for High Point University. And so I ended up here. And it's a beautiful day here in High Point, North Carolina at High Point University. So here I am. So I am grateful for that. Again, you're actually, just so you know, you are the first person in higher education I have brought onto the show. But I've been thinking about bringing people like you on because, again, as I said, the next generation leader is so close to us. And I really wanted to understand that journey and how we can support them. But first and foremost, you have a very interesting shirt on right now. Again, our listeners are just listening. Mm -hmm. We can see each other. But tell us more about the shirt you say you represent and support the professional selling club. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So one of the big differentiators of our school of business is that we emphasize professional selling skills. And I often ask, you know, CEOs that I have the privilege of meeting with, what causes new hires to fail or what do they need? And a lot of times they say they don't know how to sell. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're in a selling position. So you've heard the old adage, we're all in sales. And so professional selling is an important skill that we have here. And so my chair of marketing and sales, Larry Quinn, is also our sales professional residence at High Point University. So uh, David Horsager, our trust expert in residence, is our common connection. That's how I discovered you because you were on his podcast. We have all these innovators in residence, but he actually is there all the time leading the Department of Marketing and Sales. And he's built a stellar professional selling program. And so he's got five students at the National Shore Sales Challenge. And they're going to be doing a role play competition, which allows them to do 
some cold calling and they're rated on their skills. Um, so they'll be doing these role play rounds for 12 minutes in length. There's also a speed selling competition, which can last for one to two minutes, but it's really about tell me about yourself or why should I hire you? And so they get judged on that. And so this is a great opportunity for our students to build their confidence and to learn how to communicate and apply that business knowledge that they've acquired to a variety of different stakeholders that they're proposing alternatives to. And so I think it's a great opportunity. And I hear you talk about confidence all the time on your podcast. And so this is a great thing for our students. And so, yeah. I love that. So I'm here to share and support. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this is the first time I've heard that, but you know, it is such a shortcoming that I find. We develop the university systems, we develop subject matter experts, and we are celebrated and we lift them because of their technical capability, whether it's in marketing or engineering or operations. But the art of selling, you know, it just sounds like, well, ooh, that's not me. But we never realize that everything we do, every person we interact with is an opportunity to connect on a human level. And part of that is selling. The word selling, however, has such a negative connotation. More universities should be doing this because our young professionals don't know how to do this. So I'm just curious, what are some of the key things that you teach them that maybe they're not naturally? What are some of the elements of Mm self-selling that you teach them? Well, let's start with the stereotypes of selling and maybe you can add a few yourself. Okay. Sure. You think of the typical high-pressure car salesman, you know, like always be closing, you know, high-pressure sales techniques, very transactional, trying to be, push all the benefits of the product, you know, push, 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 strength and volume numbers, that kind of stuff. That's one stereotype. The also stereotype is that you have to be an extrovert in order to be good at sales. And a lot of people mistake what extroversion is. It's not being gregarious. Gregarious, yeah. So it's about where you get your energy from. And so extroverts simply get more energy from being around other people. That's how they recharge themselves. Introverts need some time alone to recharge themselves. And, you know, everybody's shy. Everybody, you know, is afraid of public speaking to some degree. For most part, you know, um, some get over it sooner than others. And the same thing is true for selling. You know, you're trying to get somebody to do something. So we take a growth mindset approach to selling here at High Point University. In fact, growth mindset is one of our premier life skills. Selling is one of our premier life skills. Entrepreneurial mindset is one of our premier life skills. And so we definitely emphasize this in the business school. Our mission is to prepare students to become tomorrow's business professionals. And tomorrow's business professionals need to know how to sell. So that's what we stand for. How do we do that? What we do is we emphasize trust. Okay. And so it is not about trying to close the deal as fast as possible and get it with as many people. You've got to make some revenue, but it's about building long-term relationships. And so the person that has the gift of gab may not be the best salesperson because they're too busy talking and not spending enough time listening. And so you've got to really listen intentionally. You've got to be able to figure out what that person's problem is and then be able to find a solution for them. And you've got to be willing to say that maybe my product is not the solution for you, but I'm going to find a solution for you because there's going to be a relationship built there and then there'll be another product this time. And even if you can't make a sell with that person, you've built yourself a promoter. So if you learn how about building a relationship and not being transactional, it takes the pressure off. 
And it's also about building confidence too. You know, if you're not confident, people are not going to trust that what it is that you're selling. So really that builds confidence. It's about listening. It's about building relationships and it's about problem solving in an entrepreneurial way. So I'm so grateful that you brought up those points, you know, trust, building relationships and confidence. We talked early before we jumped on here about the book, The CEO's Compass. And when we went over the compass points, one of the compass points is performance. And business leaders often mistake performance as getting those sales numbers, profitability, service levels. And we can get that if we drive our people into the ground and you can high five that win. Mm -hmm. But then over time, if you don't get those numbers, people start saying, okay, here comes the long hours, the emails, the meetings, et cetera. And what I often say in order to get to peace of mind, which is true north, is the leading indicator of being able to achieve your ultimate peace of mind is working on people's skills to build the trust. How many relationships have they built over time? Potentially measure their confidence as they get more and more practice in the relationship building. Mm -hmm. And the lagging indicator winds up being the sales, those transactions. If you lead with the transaction, you're going to get less of them and you're going to have to work harder and harder. If you lead with the relationship, yes, there is some patience and discipline, which often young professionals, a lot of professionals don't have that, but building capability and discipline and knowing that it's the long game Mm -hmm. in the long term, you're going to sustain the results that you're seeking. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) I have to soak that in for a second there. You know, I'm a big data and analytics guy, but I also understand you got to be careful about the tyranny of metrics. You know, these are lagging indicators. And as you said, people are the leading indicator. You know, if you're growing your people, you're going to be successful. If you, if you focus too much on the metrics, you can sometimes miss the boat. So I want to take this in another direction. Some of the things that were interesting in your bio is that you have brought from your tech background, you've brought innovative techniques and teaching methodologies with a keen sense of helping to develop analytical skills. Tell me a little bit more about you and what you've brought to the educational system at High Point. Well, thank you for the opportunity to share. So I came to High Point in 2010. And at that time, they were in the early stages of what we call a quality enhancement plan. And it's called a QEP. It's basically what happens is like, how do you at the institutional level transform your institution for the better? We do it basically every five years. And this one was called experiential learning. And it just so happened that I had my field in experimental economics when I was getting my PhD. And so I really wanted to emphasize learning by doing. So if you think of markets, how are prices discovered? You know, think about that. Okay. Well, people would say, well, it's in markets, or they'd say, oh, supply and demand. I remember that. Okay. Then I tell my students, like, okay, do you think anyone really needs to know where those curves cross, or do they have the information where demand and supply cross? Because that's where the price is determined in the textbook. Well, they don't know that. They discover it through an emergent order. And, you know, I could tell the students that, and I could say, well, it's, it's out of act of their self interest. The buyer wants the lowest price and the seller wants the highest price. And they somehow end up in a way, an equilibrium where the gains from exchange are maximized. I'm sure your audience is probably glazing over at this point because of the way I'm explaining it. So what I do is I have them discover it by doing an actual pit market experiment where they take on the roles of buyers and sellers and they can see how easily, even though they only know their private values as a buyer, 
or their private costs as a seller, the emergent order happens in just a couple of rounds. And this was one of the first experiments started with the field. So Vernon Smith, the father of experimental economics, Adam Smith is the father of economics. He kind of helped show what Adam Smith's invisible hand was talking about. So the students actually got to see Adam Smith's invisible hand that allows markets to discover prices, even when like demand and supply shift, things change. And so I use that technology. We got iPads as a gift because Dr. Gabane likes to give, uh, he's a president of High Point University, he likes to give gifts to our faculty to improve our teaching techniques. And so we got the first gen iPad at the time. And so I got a series of grants to develop the first iPad experiment to simulate this pit market. And so they're scanning QR codes and playing the roles and they're watching the prices go across as the ticker. So we had to actually add a lot of extra flair to it and made it more interactive. It was a great icebreaker activity for the students to get to know each other. And so it really got the energy going about economics. And then economics can be fun because I know for me, it was when you taught just the textbook information, as you said, Sometimes, depending on how our minds work, you may glaze over. Mm. But when you just talked about how you can make it relatable and actually see how decisions and transactions impact the outcome, it's memorable. It makes an impact that the underlying tone about that was you were influencing people and selling the concept of how economics actually works. So I see how it's all integrated. Yeah. So amazing, amazing. So what I want to do now is then also, because this is a little bit of selfish on my side, is to really understand the leaders of tomorrow, the managers of tomorrow. I know not everybody necessarily wants to be a leader, but they want to grow their knowledge in the area of business. Mm -hmm. But when I think about those people that were in your care and starting to leave and go either out into the workforce or back into the workforce, mm -hmm. what should we know about them? And maybe you can share with me the demographics. Are they of a younger generation or maybe a blend of people going back to school? Mm -hmm. Maybe share a bit with me on that. Yeah, so right now we're teaching Generation Z. Okay. Or the iGen, as it's sometimes called, you know, and so just when, you know, the, the boomers, the Gen Xers got used to millennials, here come the Gen Zs. Mm -hmm. And so they're a little bit different, but I still think the data is still coming in mm -hmm. to figure out what it is different about Gen Z versus millennials. I think the biggest difference is the millennials, they definitely want a fast trajectory. And then the Gen Z, they definitely have, they care a lot about their passion. They need a why. Mm -hmm. And so you really have to spend a lot of time on the what's in it for me, um, not to say that they're selfish, but just to say like you have to find their passion, find, get to know them mm -hmm. and use that to kind of drive them. And if you can do that, if you can get their passion behind it, then they just really move forward. And I think we really do this well at High Point University. And I'm sorry, this is going to be a little bit of a HBU infomercial in some ways, no, but I'd like to say that please. at High Point University, every student receives an extraordinary education in an inspiring environment with caring people. So those three things. And that inspiring environment, I think, is very important for the Gen Z right now. And so we want to grow. I love what you said there, the difference between the word inspire and influence. Influence, yes, is part of the skill set for which we need to learn how to sell, mm -hmm. but doing it deeply based on relationships and trust. But the point about inspiring, and I aspire to the word inspiring more than influence, mm -hmm. because you can influence people by disseminating information, disseminating experiences for people to learn. So it's almost like that coaching, that push. Here's knowledge and here's how to apply it. 
very important to develop new skills. But the inspirational element is that point of self-discovery where you don't necessarily tell the students everything they need to know, but you provide an environment for which they can think for themselves. You can Mm -hmm. infuse new ideas innovation, help them discover, even if they say, oh, I'm not really good at brainstorming. I like to sit in the back of the room and watch. You may find maybe you put them in front and say, we want you to lead this brainstorming session. And then they discover about themselves, maybe some talents they don't even know. Setting people up to be inspired and do something different that they might not have normally done or discover something that they now are capable of doing. That is the truest gift we can do or for our future leaders, inspire them because Maybe they'll remember us, but we've left a lasting impact. But inspiration, I think, is one of the things I really love what you said, is to inspire the next generation. And you have to have that purpose. Yeah, we just had a speaker at our Philip School Business Speaker Series yesterday, had a big slide, says, inspired, never influenced. Okay. So that just validates what I'm saying. I'm not alone because I used to be able to say things. And again, that's about me. I would say things and there'd be crickets, but it means then this is a conversation worth having. How can we inspire the next generation? Now, I'd love to know a little bit more. So again, these new people coming into the business world, Mm -hmm. they want to know purpose, but also it's a two-way street. So we need to feed that sense of purpose, but how can I best leverage them? What are you seeing in terms of their skills or capability or how they think that me, I, as a, whatever the gen is that I am, (laughs) I don't want to say that I can learn from them and get the most out of a relationship. I'd love to know. Well, I think that you have to simplify things and you got to give them a true North. Okay. As you say, in CEO's conference, Mm -hmm. You know, I actually spoke with my faculty and I said, what's the big question? Is it the why? Is it the how? The what? You know, all those types of questions. I said, well, it's wither. Never heard (laughs) that. Wither. Wither. Yeah. It's an old used word. W-H-I-T-H-E-R. Okay. So it's put the H in there and it means to what direction? So, so where is the destination? Wither is to which direction? And so whither shall we go? And that is where our mission is at, is that's to prepare students to become tomorrow's business professionals. And so we have a professionalism statement on our syllabi. We emphasize it through our Build School Business Speaker Series. We give them as many opportunities to engage with business professionals as possible so they start to instill the habits now so that when it really counts, they're ready Mm. and they're confident. You just took me aback there because, you know, to which direction, and forgive me if I mess it up, this is a step forward. It's not the how and the what and the why, but it's to which direction, because if you at least have a future focus, a direction, you will figure out the what, the how, the why, the purpose, or start asking those questions to get you on track to wherever it is the destination. Oh my, this, <laughs> what I'm enjoying so much in this conversation is that, you know, my thoughts that I put in the book, The CEO's Compass, mm-hmm. and either preparing the future leader, because while I wrote it for a head of an organization when they're off track, when I was talking to my book coach, but, but, but it's for the future leader as well. So no, from a marketing perspective, you need to write it for one person, but just knowing that you can be off course in, knowing your purpose, or how can I build the capability so I can be more influential or be able to sell? All of those insights are also in there, but knowing your true north, your direction, you got to know your purpose, you got to know where you're going, and then you fill in the blanks along the way and figure out what that journey looks like. So I so appreciate the strategy that your, your university has for developing those future leaders. 
So I want to know another question is that how can people that are outside the institutional system support the learning opportunities that you provided for your students? Because if there's anybody out there that may be able to provide some knowledge, some support, some help that will help the experiential learning of those students, what might that be? Well, we believe in the magic of mentorship. Okay. So uh, one of the things that we do for experiential learning inside the classroom is we have a career aligned curriculum. And through that, we have, I just printed this out yesterday, a Phillips School Business Mentor Directory. And so what we do is we connect with alumni, with institutional donors, we connect with business professionals that we connect with along the way. And we say, hey, would you be willing to do an informational interview with our students? And so they fill out a short survey, and then we add them to our catalog of business professionals that are working in all these different fields. So that way our students can engage in real career exploration and know what the next, next step is until they hone in on their dream job, which you know could change, mm-hmm. but they at least have a plan that they're making along the way and they're fine-tuning their skills. They're starting to define what is their T-shape in terms of being a T-shaped business professional. And that is breadth and depth, okay? And so I'll explain more of that in a moment. But the point is, is that all of our students are doing multiple informational interviews as assignments. So even the slackers, you know, aren't excused, okay? And parents love this, of course. And so they get an opportunity to do an informational interview through their business core classes. So by the time they get to their mock interview, their junior year, they've already fine-tuned and selected a great job, are confident that this is something they want, and then they get a mock interview with a professor who then takes on the role of the person they do so. And the greatest joy is when I run into a student that I've done a mock interview for. We've been doing this since 2013, and I've done probably about 80 mock interviews at this point, is when they get that internship, and I know that I've helped them prep for it and give them a high five, it's the greatest joy. So I'm experiencing this vicariously because I'm a big advocate of mentorship through my professional organizations as well. I've mentored and learned what it means to be a mentor, not tell them what to do, but help them discover, but then where needed, help coach Mm -hmm. the skills that they may need to build on what they already do well in terms of feedback and their strengths and then what might they want to change to get a different outcome. So I sincerely appreciate that you do that in preparing the future leaders because, gosh darn it, I didn't have that. My university would set up the interviews and maybe back then it was easier, but now it's such a noisy landscape. We need to stand out. We need to be able to articulate our value, also be able to ask questions of the interviewer and just engage in conversation. And through that, we sell our value. Mm -hmm. We make connections Mm -hmm. and if you don't get the opportunity, then rinse and repeat. So mm-hmm. I love love what you're doing, and I definitely want to find out more about that. <laughs> yeah. But as we bring this to a close, first of all, I am just sincerely really appreciate the opportunity to speak to somebody in higher education. This gives me a view into how we are preparing those future leaders. Those leaders may someday come into my care mm-hmm. in case they need somebody to help from an operational perspective or potentially some personal or leadership development. So I'm grateful to know you and the work that you're doing now. But I want to give you the floor one more time if there are any last thoughts or messages or ways for people to connect with you, because I want people to know more about you as well as the great work at your university. Well, if you want to connect with me, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. 
when people ask me what kind of leader I am, I just say I'm a cheerleader because what I'm posting about is not about my research or what I'm doing. It's about what the students are doing. It's about what my faculty are doing. It's about the great speakers we're bringing to campus every day. I have the opportunity to be part of basically a permanent leadership retreat because our president, Dr. Nito Cobain, he is a past president of the National Speakers Association. He's a serial entrepreneur and he's developed a strong network. And so, and so in our Phil School Business Speaker Series, we have a lot of his friends who are also members and certified speaking professionals come to campus, interact with our students, engage with them, mentor them. Then we have successful parents of students who are also on the speaker series telling them what they've learned and they listen to them because they're not their parents. And so the idea is that, and they want to give back. So they, I can't get my kids to listen to what I have to say. So I know you'll listen now, but you know, but it's good hearing it multiple different ways. And so if you do it multiple different ways in a variety of different experiences, those things stick with them and they become a habit becomes natural. And so that's what we want to keep emphasizing. And I really want to get our students thinking strategically about building themselves to be tomorrow proof. And I think that's what higher ed needs most of all. So going back to our mission, and we put this, you know, on every one of our agendas, I talk about it frequently. Our mission is to prepare students to become tomorrow's business professionals. We are focused on that. We're focused on that word tomorrow. And I tell the parents, which is customer number one, students are customer number two. And the employers are customer number three in that sense, in terms of what we're producing, is that we're here to make your child tomorrow proof. And that starts with letter T. That's building a T-shaped business professional. Okay. So the breadth of the T, that's your passport. It's going to take you everywhere you want to go. It is our premier life skills that every student gets at High Point University, reemphasized as business professionalism, extended with our business acumen through our strong business core. Then the thing you're so obsessed about, your major and what types of certifications you get, that's the depth of your team. And that's not necessarily what the employer is going to hire you for, but it sends a signal that you have the capability to be coached, to have a strong work ethic, to get really good at something. That's that signal. And of course, that's what they see on your resume. But when you get negative to the door, but what's on the breadth of the T, that gets you through the door. Oh, my. You are a tremendous advocate for the work being done at your university. Such a strong message. I just want to learn more. So this has been an amazing interview. I sincerely appreciate the opportunity of been introduced to you, following you, and now really having a deep interview so that people, one, can understand who you are, what the university does to tomorrow proof the future leaders and business leaders. So thank you so much for an amazing interview, Daniel. Thank you, Deb. It's a great podcast you're doing. Appreciate all you're doing. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass Assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.